From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. For the 14th time in 15 years, the Gators bowled over Rocky Top with plenty of room to spare in a 34-3 victory. But the score was hardly the focus for most fans who were salivating over the performance of first-time starter Kyle Trask. On today's show, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry join us to discuss the quarterback's breakout performance, the emergence of tight end Kyle Pitts, expectations for Towson, the buzz created by HBO's extended visit to campus, and the most heartwarming stories in sports in the PAT. Then, we'll be joined by the man himself, as Kyle Trask leads us through the unlikely story that led him from backup quarterback at his Texas high school to starter for the Gators. To get things started, let's break down Trask's starting debut in the Swamp, as Scott and Chris offer their analysis of his outing and what it means for the still-undefeated Orange and Blue. Well, what stood out to me was right away he established himself, taking the Gators down the opening drive, throwing the uh, what 19-yard touchdown pass to Kyle Pitts. I thought it was a great start for Kyle Trask. I thought it was a great start for the Gators, and it really set the tone for that game. They couldn't have asked for a, a much better start, really, for a guy who's making his first start since he was a freshman in high school. Got off to a good start, finished just 20 and 28, 293 yards, two touchdowns. If you're going to pick apart the start, you can obviously uh, pick apart those two third quarter interceptions, threw in the coverage each time. Probably not the best decision there, but at the time, the game was out of reach. He was trying to make a play. Obviously, you do that against better teams. You're not going to get out of those situations without giving up points. So that's a, that's a talking point that Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson have with Kyle Trask. But overall, for a guy in that situation, totally impressed by the way I watched him walking down in Gator Walk, looked very calm, watched him closely on that first drive, looked very calm, uh, watched him after the game, looked very calm as he did an interview with HBO in the hallway in the locker room. All around, probably the best first start from a Gators quarterback we've seen in quite a while. And, uh, you know, congrats to Kyle Trask and a a big start for him because Gators are going to need some more performances like that if they're going to get out of this stretch that's upcoming uh, unscathed. Yeah, just to piggyback off that, I mean, you're talking about the poise, never seemed rattled uh, in any way. You know, where it obviously staked the team to a 10 nothing lead at first. And, yeah, there was a turnover in the first quarter. We had a sack fumble. I guess the coaching staff would know better if that was a technique issue, um, should he have seen it, or offensive line issue, what have you. But, you know, he did have three turnovers. If uh, Felipe Franks had three turnovers, um, the fans would be upset about it. Kyle Trask is going to have some rope here, and he deserves some rope. Um, again, first start since he was a ninth grader. You know, just he looked in control and he just did not have the look of a guy who was starting his first game in that long of a time. And yes, things are going to get harder. Uh, I'm sure we'll bring up in the next uh, couple minutes uh, what awaits Kyle Trask after this week's game and against Towson relative to the Southeastern Conference schedule. But it's going to be a, uh, a lot greater challenges than a struggling Tennessee uh, team presented him um, when you're talking about the conga line of SEC foes that are coming up, but 
um, he has something to build on from now and things that the uh, coaching staff can work with him on. And uh, I would imagine that he's going to be even more comfortable um, his next outing and hopefully even more so the outing after that. In terms of the game overall, you know, Florida's 4-0. They've had four opponents. They've beaten all of them. So obviously you can't do much more than that in terms of what's actually on the resume. In terms of building, what did you see in the Tennessee game outside of Kyle Trask that showed you that progress is being made? Well, just got through with Dan Mullen's press conference here. He thought it was their best game. He pointed out some of the things I think I noticed. Uh, it, it didn't come really until later in the game. They've got the running game going a little bit when Emory Jones came in there. Lamarca Piran, Damian Pierce had some runs. I think they like the way the offensive line played a little bit more. Uh, besides Kyle Trask being the obvious storyline, I mean, I thought the defense was the story of that game. Uh, John Grenard played his best game we've seen at Florida. Uh, they really attacked Tennessee. Whoever had the ball for Tennessee, it was a swarming defense. Uh, they forced four turnovers. Uh, defense hasn't given up a point all year in the fourth quarter. Again, Tennessee, you know, they're driving their legs down 24-3. You think maybe they, they'll cut it to a two-score game, and Greenyard has the big hit. Uh, Mari Bernie recovered it, and Gators went down and scored right away on that, what, an eight-play, 64-yard drive kept by a Damian Pierce uh, rushing touchdown. So uh, I think the way they just answered whatever adversity came in that game, there wasn't a lot, but whenever there was something that didn't go right, uh, they responded well. And I think being 4-0, 2-0 in the league, Towson come to town, you know, Dan Mullen said, look, they practiced Sunday. they take taken Monday off. They adjusted the schedule a little bit this week because – after Towson, they got three games and a bye, three games and a bye. So they're kind of setting up for this run that we're going to talk about. But I think the biggest thing is just to get healthy, guys. I mean, C.J. Henderson, Jabari Zuniga obviously both missed the game uh, against Tennessee. I don't know if there's a, a huge priority on either one of those guys being back against Towson. Obviously, Kadarius Stoney still going to be out. So maybe getting those guys back for that big game against Auburn. Uh, that's one thing that, you know, they'll try to use this week. And obviously they got a game against Towson, which they're very, uh, should win that game, but we'll see. Yeah, I do think they have to run the ball better. Um, I think they made some improvement rushing for over 130 yards, but um, they're going to have to do better than that when you play teams like Auburn and LSU and Georgia. And um, there really wasn't a lot of running room to be had in there. And uh, to be able to run the ball and carve out some drives and, um, keep the defense off the field. I mean, all that, all that stuff is going to uh, be paramount in the month of October. And I think uh, to that and to the point of, of getting healthier, uh, obviously, are the most important things. I, I'll tell you one thing that kind of went unnoticed, and, and you want it to go unnoticed. Florida only had four penalties for just over 30 yards. That's something to take forward and hopefully something that will continue because, you know, it's for years now, Florida's been a pretty penalized team. Good for them, good for the Gators to be able to uh, – to play, you know, within the rules like that and not have any kind of, you know, shooting themselves in the foot kind of place. If you're interested in seeing lots of penalties, uh, might I refer you to the Atlanta Falcons, who had 16 penalties uh, against Indianapolis and lost to Jacoby Brissett. There you go. Brought it back around to the Gator connection. 16 penalties. 16 penalties, seven of which were first down, automatic first downs. So I don't want us to get too far off track here. So let's bring it back right now. And I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about Kyle Pitts because I think we've talked a lot in recent years about the lack of tight ends being a prominent in the offense. And we saw last year they started to incorporate him a little bit more in terms of we saw Moral Stevens. We saw Siante Lewis being utilized more in the offense. 
But it looks like, especially based on the last couple of weeks, the tight end position is really becoming critical again for the Gators. And, and Kyle Pitts seems to be the, the best example of that. You look at that position, Adam, in recent years, I mean, Kyle Pitts is the best talent they've had at tight end as far as ability to catch the ball in a wall. I mean, Mullen likes him so much that they also will use him at receiver uh, sometimes on the outside. But he also has that size and was recruited as, as, as a tight end. And it's clear now that he's getting more of an opportunity, how talented he is. I mean, he, he's made some really nice catches this season. He, he can go up and catch the ball. He's got reliable hands. He's got good speed to create some separation uh, with linebackers. And he's quick enough to create some separation against defensive backs. So he's a, he's a, a big weapon that the Gators are utilizing more and more. Had a career day against uh, Tennessee. I know in the first half alone, he had three catches for 51 yards. I think he came into that game with only nine career catches. So, uh, again, uh, I think what you're seeing and what everyone's seeing is uh, Kyle Pitts is going to be part of the, uh, the offensive plan moving forward. And that kind of uh, a talent at that position that Dan Mullen and his staff have liked to use uh, over the years, that can only help a young quarterback like Kyle Trask, who, you know, each week is going to see different things from defenses as they – have more tape on him. And having a weapon like Kyle Pitts is obviously a huge benefit for Kyle Trask. You mentioned earlier uh, the game coming up against Towson, and, and obviously many are already looking ahead to Auburn, just being realistic about it. Towson is an FCS-level opponent, uh, much like UT Martin, who Florida beat 45 to nothing. So I think the questions for this week are less about if Florida will win the game and more about how will they win the game and where will they improve in what is, in a lot of ways, the, the final dress rehearsal before this very, very difficult October stretch that starts with Auburn on homecoming. So for you guys, what are you going to be looking for? What do you get the sense that Dan Mullen really needs to see this weekend to feel a little bit better about October 5th? First of all, I don't think they're like UT Mark. I think they're probably better than that. They're, uh, I think they're ranked fifth in the FCS. They beat Maine, which was the Colonial Athletic uh, Champion last year. I know there's some people listening to this that are rolling their eyes saying, come on, Chris, it's <laughs> ridiculous, but that's okay. I mean, I think it'll be a better FCS opponent. But uh, to your question, Adam, the um, uh, when games like this, you look at what you have to do. Uh, more so than what they're going to do. And um, I just think it starts with running the football. I mean, I, I, whether it's uh, Michael P. Ryan, uh, whether it's Damian Pierce, whether it's Iverson Clement, and I think I said the other day, whether it's the ghost of Emmett Smith, the Gators need to fabricate something in the running game and find some rhythm with somebody. And um, uh, Mullen, I guess, to his point, he thought he saw some things that were better, specifically in the fourth quarter. Now, was that a byproduct of uh, Tennessee maybe within a little bit of a give-up mode, knowing the game was out of hand? I don't know. But uh, uh, it's going to be a lot tougher hoeing uh, in, in the month of October. And if you're going to see some true development from this quarterback who doesn't have a lot of game-day experience, he's going to need an element of a running game to help uh, not only him get in rhythm, but put some balance to the offense and you know uh, get some susceptibility to some things going on defensively. Well, speaking along Chris's point to some degree, I mean, I do agree that it's only benefits Florida that they can somehow develop a run game. That's something that they need to do. But also, you know, I watched some of that Notre Dame-Georgia game the other night. I mean, I don't know if you're going to beat Auburn or Georgia by running the ball down the throw. I think Florida's going to have to throw the ball to win those kind of big games. Uh, so I, I think it's important for, you know, in a game like Towson, yeah, it is important to get some 
running game uh, going against that level opponent. But it's also important to uh, to make sure Kyle Trask does not regress in any way and, and run a crisp offense because I think whatever they do in that stretch that's coming up, you know, Auburn at LSU, Georgia, Kyle Trask is going to be huge if Florida is going to win those games. Uh, so I just – I'll continue to watch him closely. Uh, I'll continue to watch the run game. Uh, I'll continue to see, hopefully, if they can avoid any more injuries. I mean, uh, those are some things I'll be looking for, guys. And, you know, Towson, uh, you know, are they another UT Martin? I don't know. I mean, they are, like Chris said, they are, they did beat Maine for the championship last year, but they're also a level below. So, I mean, I would expect Florida to take care of this. I wouldn't be surprised if the score, if things go like the Gators want, they should be able to take care of it like they did UT Martin or worse. But that's just me, so I don't know. We'll see. It's also going to be kind of a, a unique week in the sense that you mentioned earlier, HBO is there. So uh, HBO, which started this whole concept, really, it's a combination I think, of Hard Knocks and also their 24-7 series, which is mostly profiled uh, boxing matchups before they happen and going behind the scenes. It seems like they kind of melded those together in this 24-7 college football series, and they're going to be profiling the Gators all week. So I'm, I'm sure you guys have already seen some of this already, but what's it like having all these cameras around in places that you're not used to seeing cameras? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it kind of hit me at the press conference earlier this week with Dan Muller when you know, I took my seat there and looked over, and there was these a camera and three guys standing right next to the podium. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's HBO. And <laughs> then I look in back the room, and there's another camera and three <laughs> more people, and you know, and so there's reminders all around whether you're you're walking to a press conference or through the football offices or in the locker room. Uh, HBO has the Gators covered pretty heavily. It is a little different. Dan Mullen, you know, was asked about that at his press conference, and it's obviously good for the program in terms of exposure. I mean, this is the first college team to undergo this kind of coverage uh, on the HBO platform. Obviously, fans are used to seeing hard knocks in, in the NFL. And you mentioned the boxing coverage behind the scenes. But for college football fans, this is a, a new look at a program. And for the Gators to be the first one that will be highlighted, so I can see why Dan Mullen would want to do it in terms of exposure. Uh, recruits, they watch HBO and maybe this sways a kid to Florida. Who knows? But either way, uh, it's a little... A little different for Towson week. Normally, this kind of coverage is, you know, more like Auburn or uh, LSU week, but uh, it, it breaks up, uh, I guess, the monotony a little bit for a game that, at least on the national scene, Florida against heavy underdog Towson normally wouldn't rate a lot of coverage, uh, but it, but it's going to in a different way this week. Yeah, I just know in situations like that, uh, the how much can you be yourself uh, when you're the coaching staff? I know from being around the basketball team a lot the last couple of years that. Uh, the coaches, the head coach's uh, favorite days aren't necessarily the days that they're mic'd up, but um, I'm sure there's a rhyme or reason for uh, a reason that they picked the Towson State uh, week to do this, but uh, it's obviously very good exposure. I mean, it's one thing to be on SEC Network. I guess it's another thing to be on HBO, so it should be pretty cool to uh, to see them on a, on a national scope like that. You know HBO will do a top-flight job with it, so yeah, it's, I mean, it, you don't say no to something like that. Moving on to this week's PAT, and I'm going for a heartwarming one here because there have been a lot of stories recently around sports that I think have been you know, pretty inspiring and have shown you sort of what can happen when people come together for a cause greater than themselves. An example is recently when we saw the, the Arkansas State head coach who lost his wife 
They went and played Georgia. The Georgia fans tried to a, a pink out in uh, Sanford Stadium, which was a really nice gesture to honor her. And then another thing we saw more recently was when game day went to Iowa State, there was a student who held up a sign that got on TV saying, hey, uh, please send beer money. And he put his Venmo account on there. And then he ended up getting thousands and thousands of dollars of donations. Then it went viral. And then Venmo stepped up and said, we want to contribute once he decided to make it a charitable donation to the, the Iowa Children's Hospital that overlooks the stadium where they always have the uh, where they turn at the end of the third quarter and they wave to all the kids. So then you had all these other corporate sponsors get involved. Everybody made a donation. And now I think it's over a million dollars that's being donated to that hospital. So it just made me think about really heartwarming stories where people recognize that you know, sports is great, but there's things more important than sports. And I wanted to know what stories you guys have covered over the years that bring up similar feelings like that. I think, and this, I'm going off memory here, um, I think I went to the 25th time that Warwick Dunn gave away a house. And his Home for the Holidays uh, program obviously has gotten a lot of attention since he got into the league in 1997. But um, to see, and, and you see these things, whether you see video of it or to be there live, to see the look on someone's face, and they're usually surprised. They go to this place and there's work done in this house, giving them a house. Uh, usually single mothers giving them a house that's stocked full of uh, a refrigerator that's stocked. It's got groceries in the, in the cabinets and everything. Um, there are a lot of good things that happen in sports uh they don't always have to revolve around around tragedy but it's you always like to see teams or fans come to someone's cause in that particular case i just remember how about last year with the young man with cancer from purdue at purdue the student gate is now named in tyler trent's memory which is pretty cool um you always feel for the for the single mom and obviously work done found a niche and uh, I think he won the uh, humanitarian award or the NFL man of the year award the first year that he started doing that stuff. And uh, he, uh, I believe I read the other day that he gave away his 157th house or something like that. And uh, that's quite a tribute to, uh, to him. And uh, it was kind of cool to be to witness that uh, firsthand when I did. If you want to hear something really crazy, and this is going to blow your mind, um, that's actually a big part of what I do now. <laughs> Last week, I was actually in Augusta for the 171st work done home reveal. Um, for those who don't know, in, in my daytime job is working for a PR firm in Atlanta, and we work with Work Done's charity to help get the outreach and uh, and promote those events. So I'm actually going to be uh, I'm going to be in Gwinnett County in a week doing 172, then going to Tampa for 173, and so on and so forth. So I can I can speak to very very recent experience, Chris. That is a, a really really cool event, and the fact that he has helped that many families and especially single moms because it honors his mom uh, who was a single mom and was actually killed in the line of duty as a police officer. Uh, it, it's really impactful when you're able to see that live. There's no question about it. I was off by 20 some houses. So think <laughs> about that. Well, um, you're asking first, uh, if you're asking me directly what I've covered, I mean, obviously in this role here, you know, I think one of the great things that Tim Tebow does, one of my favorite things that he does is the night to shine where he uh, invites special needs kids to their own prom and he serves as a date. And I mean, that's just to me, that's a, a great, uh, great event that he does. And every year that it rolls around, he gets people over in Jacksonville and other uh, areas around the country and he participates himself. I mean, 
that's just Tim Tebow sums it up. Another Gator story that really, I didn't know. I mean, it's a sad story in the end with Nyron Ball, which we talked about last week. But I have to admit the outpouring of support financially once his plight became public. Uh, I was shocked at how many people contributed just like, you know, 10, 20 bucks, not a lot. You know, it was, it was just heartwarming to see because we do talk about a lot of the how bad social media can be and how it divides people. But boy, it sure can bring people together as well. And we saw that with Naran Ball and, you know, other stories. I think the word done one is one that I'm familiar with. Uh, that's a pretty uh, good story. You had Adam there. I, I didn't realize that you were involved in that. So what are the chances? Um, I was literally upstairs writing a press release about that and came down here. Yeah. That's so, so yeah, bizarre. That's neat. I mean, and Chris obviously was at him and covered the Bucks when he was there. And um, his work done is one of the good guys in sports. If you follow his career, uh, it's good to see that he still does that after all these years. So there's a lot of examples. Sister Jean was one that stuck out in recent years. Uh, uh, you, you could go on and on, I'm sure. There's some I'm missing, but just the ones that have a close connection to the Gators I don't know if there's anything I like more than Tim Tebow's night to shine. I, I just, that's a great event, man. And uh, glad to see him do that. Yeah. So many great stories like that in sports. And I think we would all like to see those covered more because for all the coverage that you know, clowns like Antonio Brown get for whatever the next bad thing they do is, it's good to remember there's a lot of, uh, a lot of nice guys out there as well using their platform to promote good and uh, try and make positive change. So I know you guys will be using your platform this week to help get out that content for Florida and Towson. Make sure to check them out at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris, and also on FloridaGators.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. While most athletes are quick to spout off cliches about the importance of teamwork, when push comes to shove, many show their true colors and prove it's really about them. That's what makes Trask's story so refreshing, as his commitment to staying the course and supporting his teammates throughout his career is very rare in our me-first sports culture. We spent some time with the redshirt junior earlier this week to learn more about him and what's kept him motivated through so many setbacks, but began by finding out how he felt making his first start in front of the home crowd. Uh, really, I just tried to approach it like any other game. Obviously, it was my first start in quite a while. But, you know, for the past couple of weeks and, you know, past seasons I've been here, I've just tried to treat every game like I'm the starter. And, and that's the same approach I took for this one. Going back to the week before Kentucky, I know you say you prepare yourself as a starter, but you probably still aren't expecting in one random moment to be called in like that in the middle of such a big game. So when you see Felipe go down, how quickly do you process what that means for you, and how do you flip that switch to go on the field? You saw Felipe go down, and, you know, obviously right away you could tell how severe of an injury it was on the field. And, you know, I kind of just said, well, you know, it's go time and it's next man up mentality. So do what you've been preparing to do all week. Mm-hmm. What's it like during the week when you're taking those reps? Because obviously you have to get some with the first team guys to be ready. But what do you do to prepare in a regular week when you're not the starter? Yeah, honestly, uh, I mean, from just like a meeting and note-taking standpoint, I take the exact same approach. The only thing that's different really is I'm getting more reps with the ones now, obviously, than before. Mm -hmm. So we saw this past weekend, Felipe's out there on the field with you during warm-ups, helping you get loose, and then talked to you on the sideline with the headset on. How has he helped you on and off the field over this last couple weeks? 
Yeah, Felipe is a great dude, and he's a great leader for our team, and he's a, been a great friend of mine ever since we both stepped foot on this campus. And um, I have nothing but good things to say about him. And you know, he's been such a great helper, just um, just seeing things and pointing things out to me whenever we're on the sideline. After every series, he'll always um, come over and tell me things that you know he noticed during the past drive. What are some examples like? What are some things this past weekend where he was able to to coach you up a bit when you came off the field? You know, it's just little things because, you know, we we both have been playing college football for a while, so we kind of know what we're doing in a sense, you know. But, um, I mean, just things about pointing out, like, you know, matchups that might be in our favor or, you know, different kind of leverages we're getting with the linebackers and the, on the receivers or, or tight ends. In terms of your relationship, I think in general, the relationship between quarterbacks fascinates people because you always assume the competition for one spot makes you enemies. So can you talk about that dynamic that quarterbacks have when there's only one spot on the field, but these are guys who you're spending almost all of your time with as well? Yeah, definitely to the outside world, you probably would think that, you know, there's only one quarterback on the field at a time. So you would think you would hate each other, but, you know, you're inevitably going to be around each other most of every single day because, you know, we're always in the same room watching film together and, you know, just basically around each other all the time. So it's really just like a friendly competition at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Taking things back, can you tell us about your family and where you grew up? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Manville, Texas. It's about 15, 20 minutes south of Houston. And my family, I got one brother. He's older. He's a he's. 26 now he's a chemical engineer but he didn't ever play football in college but he played in high school and that was you know football is always huge in our family like pretty much everyone played it growing up Mm -hmm. when when did you start playing football yourself well i first remember playing football at like i think i played like flag football at the y or something very young but Mm -hmm. i started tackle football in about i think fifth or sixth grade were you always interested in playing quarterback, or what did you do when you first got on the field? What was your entry point? Yeah, so when I first started, I think it was, I want to say, I want to say it was fifth grade when I first started. I started playing left tackle, <laughs> and then the next season I got moved to fullback. It's actually kind of a funny story. Um, so we were just walking through one play, and they were like, hey, trust the just throw the ball for this play when I look at something and I threw the ball and they're like, Oh man, that was, you can throw pretty good. <laughs> so then they're like, okay, go to the next play. And I threw it again. They're like, Hey, we didn't know you could throw like that. So then, right. ever since then, I've just been playing quarterback since about like the sixth grade. Well, and when, when did it really take for you in terms of the game itself? When did you decide this isn't just something I'm enjoying, but this is something I really want to commit myself to? Yeah. I mean, football has always been huge in our family. Like I said, my grandpa played for the Oilers back hmm. in the 60s. So wow. it's always been a dream of mine to, you know, really just commit myself to football. So once I found a position I was, you know, passionate about, I just kind of went full speed ahead at it. So when you were in high school, you were in a backup role, but the circumstances there were unique. So can you tell us about playing behind Derek King and how you were able to keep developing despite not starting in high school? Oh, yeah. Me and Derek, are, we're pretty close friends, too. I mean, he's another guy that I spent like around three years, which is being with every single day in high school. And, um, you know, we're both great competitors. and I think we just really push each other. And I think that's why we're both, you know, so successful right now. At your high school, the motto is Hoka Hay. And I read all about this in an article Scott Carter wrote last week. Can you tell us a little bit about the backstory behind that and why that became the mantra of the football team? 
Uh, yeah, that was something um, our uh, head coach at the time, Coach Martin, started. It was just something that we can kind of like use as our team motto. It's something he started when he first opened the high school and started the football team. And basically just means to play unselfish and you know play for your brothers and play every play like it's going to be your last. When you did that too, because obviously you were, were still pushing to get reps, to get an opportunity to start, but there's not too many offers that are going to come in for backup quarterbacks without a lot of tape. So how did you get your name out there and draw attention for major programs, especially Florida? Well, I would just give a lot of credit to my high school coach, um, Coach Martin. You know, he it took a lot of effort from me and my family, but also Coach Martin helped me out a lot too. I mean, because he, he told me, you know, he believes in me 100% that I could play I got the next level, and every time we had coaches in the building, like he'd always call me down to go meet with them. He wouldn't shy away from telling the coaches about me just because I was a backup. Because you know, like he's like I said, he he really believed in my ability. And other than that, and I mean, I was kind of just on the camp circuit every single summer, just going to every single camp that I could. Like sometimes like three or four a week. Wow. When did Florida get on your radar? Because obviously a lot of those programs said that's great, but we're not giving a scholarship to backup quarterback. How did you get connected with the Gators and have that become what's obviously been a successful relationship? You know, we had a lot of talent on our team in high school. And I remember Coach Randy Shannon might have, or Coach Ness might have told me this story, but they were coming to uh, our high school to look at Deontay Anderson, um, a safety we had at our high school at the time. And they noticed me throwing the ball. And then I think Coach Shannon told Coach Nussmeyer to come down to, you know, take a look at me because he thought that, uh, I mean, I had some talent. So Coach Ness came down and I guess, you know, he was interested and invited me out to Friday Night Lights and, you know, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. So when you arrived and you didn't win the starting job, you know, multiple times over, you could have left like most quarterbacks do in that situation. What do you think makes you different that that route that so many go down wasn't appealing to you? I really just think it all starts with my family, you know, just things we value, like, you know, obviously never quitting because, I mean, obviously I could have went to a different high school as well. Sure. I wasn't starting for there for the longest time. And it was definitely a high school was definitely a conversation that was you know had from time to time but really my mom's big belief was you know you're not gonna you're not gonna transfer high school just for to play football like this is where we live like mm-hmm. you know this is where you grew up like this is like was something that was just ridiculous just to switch just for football but you know that really taught me a lot just to never give up mm-hmm. well you've played behind a lot of different quarterbacks in your time because there's been a, a bunch of guys that have come through there from the time you arrived until today, what are some of the things you've learned from the other guys you've had a chance to be with in that quarterback room? Yeah, I mean, I feel really grateful for the, you know, the kind of people I've been around ever since I've been here. Because when I first stepped foot on campus, as soon as I got here, I'm right away with two veteran leader quarterbacks with, you know, Del Rio and Appleby. Mm-hmm. So those are two guys that have, you know, been around the game for a long time. And I kind of just try to be like a sponge when I'm around them and just learn anything I could from them. And, you know, since they've been around the game for so long. What are some of the most important things you feel like you learned from those guys? I would say, you know, mainly just like how you prepare because that's definitely the main thing I learned from them because, you know, I always say I, I prepare every game like I was a starter just each one of these games for the past season. And I think I really just got that from them because, you know, that's kind of the mindset they had too. Even if one of them wasn't starting, they always wanted to make sure they knew everything and make sure they knew what to do if their number got called. Mm -hmm. So going back to last fall, that was your first real chance to be the starter after you came in the end of the Missouri game and then 
the week leading up to what would have been your first start, you have a knee injury and you're out for the season. I mean, I'm just thinking about this from anybody else's standpoint. At what point did you maybe start to wonder, maybe this isn't meant to be? And if so, how did you get past that? Because I feel like for most people, that would be like, okay, I've done all this work and it it still isn't happening for me. Maybe I should just do something different. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, actually, I broke my foot. But, I mean, it was just, obviously, it was a really tough time. But just one of those things that I just tried to, you know, roll with the punches. And, you know, I broke my foot, I think, the previous season. So I was, you know, familiar with what I was about to go through and, a lot of people ask me if uh, why didn't you transfer or do this or whatever, but I mean, I get asked that question all the time, but <laughs> this is like a top 10 academic university. And I mean, I'm, I have great teammates and friends that, you know, I love, so I don't see any reason to leave. Taking things uh, off the field a little bit. I know that uh, you're a native Texan, as we talked about. So I'm sure there's a lot of things that are different about Florida as compared to Texas. I want to know what are some things you like most about Florida that you don't get back in Texas and then vice versa. What do you have at home other than family that you can't get in Florida? I mean, you got Universal and Disney and all that right in our backyard. That's That's right. Definitely something you don't have back home in Texas. (laughs) So that's probably the main thing. But um, as far as back home in Texas, I mean, I feel like the food just can't be beat. Mm-hmm. I'll take their food against anybody else's. <laughs> I mean, Florida has great food too, but I mean, you know, Texas food, that's just what I grew up on, you know. Are we talking about great Mexican food? Are we talking about steaks? What, what, what are we talking about here? Yeah, for sure the Mexican food. That's number one. That can't be beat, but of course the barbecue is amazing that's as right. well. That's right. So you mentioned Universal and Disney. Are you more of a Universal guy or are you a Disney guy? Which way do you lean? Definitely Universal guy. Okay. I'm more of the, you know, I love roller coasters and, you know, those kind of attractions and things like that. I'm right there with you. Favorite universal ride. What is it? Oh, definitely the rocket. The rocket. Wow. Okay. Definitely. More so than the Hulk. I don't think I've ever been on that one, honestly. You've never been been on the Hulk? I don't think so. Oh, man. You got to get back down. You're you're missing the best ride in the park. I I know. I need to get back there. I've only been there about two times and the lines are usually pretty crazy. Gotta get to you after the season and do it do it right for yeah. you. Yeah, um, for sure. So this week is kind of a unique one for you. You guys have HBO cameras following you around everywhere, uh, getting almost the, the hard knocks treatment. How weird has that been to have them in meeting rooms and places that are normally private? How much has that kind of changed the dynamic this week? Obviously it's kinda of weird at times just have a camera following you around twenty four seven, but at the end of the day, I mean I think it's it's pretty cool. I mean, just to have that kind of, um, I mean, attention around such a great team like we have right now. And like I said, it is kind of weird at times, but you just got to, you know, kind of get used to it and just pretend they're not there. Is there a camera watching you right now or are we okay? Uh, yeah, I don't see any cameras watching me. <laughs> Surprise. A, a quick 360 <laughs> check. Make sure there's, camera, there's no cameras in any direction. No, we're good. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you have a favorite HBO show? Do you, do you like HBO stuff? I would say Game of Thrones, but I feel like I don't really have enough time to watch that. I have watched a couple episodes, but I mean, I'm a fan. I just haven't. I'm not like a, a diehard that I've seen all of the episodes or anything. Well, best advice I can give you is just watch everything up until the last season, because the last season is terrible and you'll be disappointed. So just stick yeah, with the first seven seasons. What, you'll be fine. That's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> so outside of football, when you're off the field and you're not uh, chasing cameras around, what are some of the things you like to do away from football when you have some free time? Yeah, I mean, a couple of my hobbies that I've always done growing up is I love playing basketball with 
my friends and my brother or fishing. That's another big one for me too. I mean, anytime I got some free time, me and some of my teammates always find like a new lake that we haven't hit before, try to find the best bass fishing spots. Hmm. Who's the best fisherman among you and your teammates? It's a great question. Um, from what I've seen, I would have to say currently on the team still, I'd probably have to say Stone Forsyth from just what I've seen, just from the things he's caught through on social media and stuff like that. Cause <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a big time fisherman himself. Yeah, good to know. In terms of music, and that's a big part of, uh, if you're doing some chill, like fishing, if you're getting ready for a game, there's probably a different playlist there. What's on the, the chill playlist. What's on the game time playlist? Um, game time playlist definitely like some harder rock or some rap and then chill is definitely country i'm just you know out fishing with the boys or anything like that mm-hmm. which artists who, who are we talking about here um i'm definitely more of a classic country guy so i'll go with like a randy travis and tracy lawrence oh wow okay and for game time you got to get pumped up so i need some mm, I'm kind of just like type in a playlist that's just like pump up playlist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just I don't let it have go. like a, a specific artist, you know? I got you. A couple final things for you. As you prepare for Towson this week and then also knowing what's to come in the SEC, how do you prepare for the speed of live reps in a game? How difficult is that to kind of go from we're practicing or we're at this level to all of a sudden you've got some of the best SEC players coming at you full bore? Um, well, I think it's something that. Coach Mullen and his staff does a great job of kind of just even if we're on a walkthrough, we still want to have a a great pace and tempo where it's not literally, you know, jogging or walking through the plays. It's still, you know, pretty close to full speed. And, you know, we've just gotten a lot of reps just in, you know, fall camp or whatever, just full speed reps. So it's nothing new when I go out there and, you know, it's full speed. The only thing different is obviously I'm live in a game, not practice. Mm hmm. What are some of the most important notes you took away from last week in terms of things you could do better, things the coaches want you to improve on as you, you move forward? I mean, I would just say, you know, continue to use my eyes to the best of my ability just to move defenders around and just continue to stay poised in the pocket and things like that. Final thing for you, I know one of the things that, that a lot of people have talked about you so far is how cool and calm you are. You were cool and calm leading up. You were cool and calm during the game, after the game. Obviously, now, you, you know, you're fine doing this, but this stuff is all new. So how do you handle and prepare for that pressure that comes from being the starting quarterback of the Gators? Because it's a very, it's a, a big microscope to be under sometimes. I try not to put too much pressure on myself. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this is what we all came to the University of Florida to do is to play in big time games and, you know, big time environments and stadiums. And, you know, just me being calm. And that's one thing I pride myself on because I think that's when I play the best is, you know, when I'm not getting too high or too low. Do you meditate? Do you do breathing exercise? Is there something you do to relax yourself or is this just sort of even keel for you all the time? Nothing out of the ordinary, like nothing, you know, like a meditation or anything like that. It's just, I feel like it just comes from experience. You know, if you have a bad play, just deep breath, like, you know, it's already happened. There's nothing you can do about it. Most important play is the next one. And if you get too high, you know, you don't want to just go out there the next drive and just throw some stupid ball or something like that. Just really focusing on staying even, you know, never losing focus or getting too stressed out. 
No question. Well, certainly we, we hope that uh, everything goes well for you the rest of the season. Thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck to you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Before the October gauntlet begins, catch the Gators as they welcome the Towson Tigers on Saturday at 4 on the SEC Network and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG. Then come back next Thursday as we prepare you for homecoming against Auburn. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.